I just decided I didn't want to do it anymore and um, went out and bought a six-pack one night. And the next night I was to a 12, and then I was back to buying cases. Ready? Ready. Welcome to the Recovery Edge Cast. My name is Alfredo, and I'm an alcoholic. Today I have with me my good friend Kara, who I've known for several years. Kara, when's your sobriety date and where's your home group? Uh, my home group is the New Hope group that meets Friday nights in Firestone. And my uh, sober date is June 1st of 2015. So you have just over five years then, huh? Yeah. Nice. So when I first met you, you were pretty new. Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. I know. It took me a while, but... Um, a minute, yeah. Yeah, it did take me a minute. Um, so what do you do in these days? I am a team driving a big rig with my husband. Yeah? Yeah. Your husband... I know your husband. Yes, you do. I saw him propose to you in the room. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I don't know if I should. I don't know if you don't want that in this podcast, but no, I just remember my it. story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was. It was sweet. Okay, I'll let you say it. <laughs> <laughs> it was sweet. Um, yeah, that was something else. Yeah. Um, so then, why don't you tell us? What your childhood was like? What was it like growing up for you? Um, I grew up as an only child. Um, always kind of shy and and didn't have very many friends. Um, other than that, you know, I had a mom and dad who were married to, to each other, which was very unusual in, among my other friends. So, um, Did you grow up out here? I grew up in Boulder. In Boulder? Mm-hmm. Mm. You still came out pretty normal. Right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an unusual Boulderite. Were your parents or anybody in your family like alcoholic? Did you grow up around it or was it just? I think in hindsight that my parents were possibly alcoholic. Um, they drank several drinks every night. Um, and I just, I grew up thinking that was normal. Um, they would go out on Friday nights was their date night, and they would go to a little Italian restaurant out in Louisville, and they would take me along, being the only child. They dragged me everywhere, and they would sit at the bar drinking for, it seemed like forever before I'd get to eat. <laughs> hmm. When you were a teenager then, did you, well, actually, I'll let you go ahead and share your story then. Um, you know, why don't you? Go ahead and just tell us uh, okay. what what it was like before, what happened, and what it's like today. And you can start as early as you want. Okay. You know? um, I guess my first experience with alcohol um, was that my parents used to give me a shot glass of amaretto every Christmas Eve, I think, to knock me out so they could do the Santa thing. Mm. Um, but my first drunk, uh, I was 14, and uh, I was just hanging out with some friends, and um, I was blacked out. And so I was a blackout drinker from the very beginning. Um, yet I still wanted to do it again and again. Um, 
So I think I had that, um, the disease in me before I really even started drinking. I just think it has always been with me. So, um, so what was that first drink? Do you remember? It was some kind of wine cooler and a bottle of Jack Daniels. It's a decent introduction into alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a very pukey experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, and from, from the very get go there, I got, um, when I drank, I got really like shitty with people and, um, aggressive. And these are things that I wasn't like. Um, of course there was other times that I was drinking that I was happy and it made me feel like I didn't have to be this shy little girl and I could, um, people thought I was funny and people thought I was cool to hang out with most of the time. Um, and, um, it just brought me out of my shell. So around what age was this? Around 14? Um, more of this, more around like 16, I would say. Okay. So like high school, um, I got um, into, they would have kegs in the parking lot on Fridays. I mean, things were a lot more lax back then. At school? Yeah. Oh, I just missed yeah. out on that. Yeah. <laughs> and then being in Boulder right up against the foothills, there was always woodsies all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. $2 a cup to drink however much you could drink and, you know. Life was good. But, um, so I was always, I would always binge drink. Um, it was never just a couple drinks to chill out with friends. It was always like, let's party, let's drink however much we can. Um, and then as I got older, I feel like a lot of the other people like grew out of it, grew up, and I just never did. So I would drink that way every time I drank and um, pretty much drank to blackout every time. And when you're saying that you saw other people just kind of grow out of it, you're still, you're probably, I'm just guessing here, like in your early 20s yeah. or something? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, from there on, um, I would drink, like I said, binge drink and then Strangely enough, when I decided to get pregnant, I was able to stop drinking. Um, and so I was without a drink the whole time I was pregnant. Um, and same with my son. Um, so I guess when it really started to get ugly was when my mom died in 2004. Um, I was 32 at the time. And that just hit me so hard. And, you know, she and I were really close and I really started to drink every night um, just to even get to sleep. Um, so I continued on like that pretty much daily um, drinking to blackout at night. And then um, I went through a nasty divorce a couple years later and that's when things just slid downhill even further. I just started drinking 
in the morning. You know, I never drank at work, strangely enough, but um, sometimes I would wake up from my drunk the night before and need to drink some more to take the edge off, and I would just not go to work and would call in sick. And um, So, yeah, that's kind of how it went. Um, ended up, you know, from being in the bar and doing karaoke and, and hanging out with friends to where nobody wanted to hang out with me anymore because I would get too ugly. You know, I would get into fights. Um, I would pick a fight with some big dude in the bar. Like, that's, I you know, I'm just little. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of crazy how alcohol gives you that courage or stupidity to do stuff like that. Um, so I guess that's what it was like. Um, Did anybody start calling you out on your drinking? Yeah. Um, after my divorce, I um, was in a relationship and, um, the guy I was with, I mean, we drank together, but he, he would say like, there's just a tipping point with you where you flip the switch after a few drinks and all of a sudden you're just like, you know, game on drinking as hard as you can and just being really not very nice to people. Um, and during that relationship was when I bought my first big book and my 12 and 12 and I brought them home and I was also seeing um, an addiction counselor at the time and they gave me uh, naltrexone which was supposed to make me not feel the effects of the drink so not want to have that compulsion to continue drinking once I started but that didn't work um, it just enabled me to drink more so um, anyway, I, I had bought the big book in that in 2008, and I sat and read the entire book cover to cover pretty much nonstop while I sat there with my case of beer while I drank it and read it. And um, it, was, uh, it was a lot of, yeah, I'm like that. Yep, I do that. And, and then I kind of like went through how it works and and I was like step one you know I got that step two I got that three eh, I don't know you know and then I and then I just like went through mentally as I was reading it like the fourth step I'm like I don't need to do the fifth step sixth step sure seventh step sure I'm not doing the eighth or ninth step and uh I just I guess I just thought I didn't need I didn't need a group of people to know that I had this problem. So I didn't think that going to meetings was, was the answer. I was like, I can do this myself. And, um, you know, I had little spurts of maybe a week here and there, but it wasn't obviously effective. Um, After you would take like a week off, Mm -hmm. um, did you find that, you just picked up right where you left off or did yep. you really? Absolutely. Yep. Mm. Yep. I would say to myself, well, I'm just gonna have a couple of beers and then it would be a case of beer. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so then the next time I, uh, 
I guess the first time I came into the program it was in 2011. Um, it was involuntary because the police got called and hauled me off to detox. And um, so I had to um, I had to start going to meetings then. Well, I, I guess I made the decision while I was in detox, I was going to try to, you know, make the, a go of staying sober. And I think, yeah, I actually went on an abuse. was scared to drink on, on that. So um, I went to meetings, but I never got a sponsor. Um, I didn't feel like I really clicked with anyone. And over time, I was, I was in for like nine months. And um, over time, I started to... Um, just go to fewer meetings. Um, I didn't really connect with anyone in the group. I didn't like call people and I didn't, I didn't, um, socialize with the before and after the meeting, that kind of thing. And I just, um, after nine months, I just decided I didn't want to do it anymore. And, um, went out and bought a six pack one night and the next, night I was to a 12 and then I was back to buying cases and um so then I hooked up with another alcoholic active alcoholic and things really escalated at that point like we were uh drinking together and drinking and driving together and it, it just it went really badly. Um, then I guess I can skip to the this time when I came in the rooms. Um, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I don't know, like 2 o'clock. By 2 o'clock, I was already just hammered. And I just... I got really upset and I was just like, I, I have all this anxiety. I have panic attacks. I'm really depressed. I just, I don't want to wake up. You know, I, I would drink and like be like, wake up in the morning and be like, oh man, I'm still here. Um, so I went to a detox again and they wouldn't let me in when I got there. Um, because they took my breathalyzer, it was a 0.38, and they said, you can't stay here, you need to go over to the ER. Uh, so, and I was thinking, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I've been way drunker than this. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, 0.38, that's yeah. pretty high. So, um, went over to the ER, they did whatever they do with the IVs and stuff, and... Mm-hmm. It was only like a block away from the detox, so um, the boyfriend I was with at the time went to drive me back over, and, and I had I still had a big jug of wine in the car that I had drank on the way to detox, and I was like wanting, I was asking him to be able to have that, some more wine before mm -hmm. I got there. I know <laughs> we just got out of the ER, you know, so spent a, like, like a week in detox. And, um, after that, I, 
the day I got out was a Friday and Friday was my primary concern because that was a trigger for me, you know, Friday night going out, going to the bar. And, Mm -hmm. um, so fortunately for me, my home group meets on Friday nights at 7 PM. And I had been there before when I was sober previously. And so I knew some people there kind of, and, um, this one woman who knew me from my prior sobriety jumped right in, in with me and said, I'm going to sponsor you. So I think that really saved me. Um, mm. Just getting with a sponsor right away and starting to do the work. Did you feel ready at this point? Yeah. 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 I was tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was definitely a difference this time than yeah. the Plus last time. Plus it was time. my decision. That's right. This the time last it time was somebody decision. was telling me I had to be there and, mm. you know, I was taken in cuffed to a gurney the last time. So mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. yeah, not so much fun. Um, so yeah, I, I jumped right in. I held on with both hands. I did everything that was suggested of me. Mm-hmm. Um, my sponsor believed in walking through the steps very quickly. Um, so I, I was done with, um, pretty much everything by the fall of 2015 and I was sponsoring somebody by January. So, um, you know, I did service work. That was a huge part of, um, of, I think my success. Um, my sponsor told me, she told me that you're going to make coffee at the Friday night meeting. And I'm like, I don't even drink coffee. Why do I have to make these people coffee? And she's like, just do it. So I kind of did it grudgingly, but in hindsight, it like brought me out of my shyness and stuff. And, you know, I had to greet people as they were coming in and getting their coffee and stuff. So it helped me to get to know more people and kind of build that network of people that, you know, in the fellowship that you need, that you rely on. So, so it sounds like things are different this time in your recovery. Um, is it because you have a sponsor or is it the service work? What I think it think? was all of that. Like yeah. having the sponsor, a strong sponsor that wasn't, you know, just like, well, you call me when you need me. You know, mm-hmm. she was a strong sponsor. She's like, we are meeting on this date at this time and you will bring your book and your notebook. And these are the things we're going to do. And, you know, she had it planned out pretty much every week for us to meet. And, um, and like I said, I, I made it up in my mind that I'm going to give this everything I have for a year. And if it still doesn't work, cause I really didn't believe it was going to work for me. Um, after that year, I told myself if it's, if it's still not working, I can go back and go out and drink. Mm-hmm. And I'll just know that at that point that there's no help for me. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it was a combination of the sponsor, working through the steps, um, the fellowship. The fellowship has been huge for me. Um, it's just what I thought I didn't need, but it is what I really needed. I needed you all. 
So. Hmm. So when you were getting close to a year, what was your mentality like? Because you had given yourself mm-hmm. like this cutoff right. or almost like a way out. Yeah. You know, if you wanted. Like, yeah. I don't know. Is this going to work or not? Right. What were you thinking around the 11 month mark? By that time, I, um, I didn't want to leave you guys. You know, I was like, these are my people. And, um, I had learned, I had already had a very good start at learning to live sober. And, uh, I, I didn't have any desire to go back out at that point. So. so what are things like today? Today I, uh, I'm married to my most wonderful husband, uh, who I met in the rooms and, um, I have gone from the extreme of, uh, being a technical support person in a cubicle to now becoming a truck driver. You know, I started that last year and went to trucking school and got my CDL and I drive the big rig now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, sobriety makes that possible. Would never have been able to do that when I was drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that when I got sober, um, after a period of maybe a couple of months, my anxiety had greatly diminished. Um, panic attacks, I think I've had one since I quit drinking. And I was having, you know, before I had horrible panic attacks where I had to be taken off a couple times by ambulance. So, um and, and a lot of times I just, I would hide under the covers. I didn't, was so anxious to be out and around people. Um, today I can get in my car at any time, day or night, uh, and not have to worry about being too drunk to drive. Um, I, um, I have richer relationships with people, with, with friends and especially women friends, which I really didn't have that much of prior to coming into the rooms. Um, I've got really strong female friends and, um, what else? I have tools today to deal with the things that I used to drink over. You know, I have, I have those people that I can call. That's why the fellowship is so important to me. And it was really hard for me in the beginning to, to call to call people, you know, the 100-pound phone that you can't pick up. Um, but it was really important for me to call people early on so that when shit got real, I had people that, I had spoken to prior that I could call on and say, Hey man, I'm really having struggles here. Um, you know, I have tools with the big book. I can read the big book. Um, sometimes just reading like the stories brings you back down to like, um, this is not a place I want to be. So, um, 
I uh, I now have a higher power who I call God, um, who I see as a loving father. Um, I never would have, I didn't have that growing up in Boulder as an atheist. Um, <laughs> right. Is God know? even allowed in Boulder? Yeah, and I even <laughs> got, like, as a child, I remember watching church on television on a Sunday morning a couple times and my, my father would come in and be like, turn that crap off. Those people are just brainwashers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I grew up with no religion and, uh, I don't even see it. I don't even feel like I'm religious now. I feel like, um, I just, want to be a follower of Christ and you know I want to live by those teachings and and just knowing that he'll never leave me or forsake me like others in my life have has really strengthened me um I've learned to set boundaries with people um which has cost me a few very important relationships in my life um and people don't like it when you get sober and you start standing up for yourself for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, when you stop people pleasing, people aren't pleased. Mm-hmm. I do like the a compare or what you had said earlier about how your higher power, Christ, how Christ doesn't leave you. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have that attitude with my liquor, like. I could always fall back on my liquor, right? except I paid for it, Yeah, you know, and it wasn't worth it anymore. Right. Where when you have a higher power, it's different because there's no price to pay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all beneficial. Right. Um, I just kind of noticed the two parallels there. Yeah. And um, I think it's great. Um, So you guys are on the road a lot. Yes, we are. You know? What uh, do you have any recovery stories from out there, or like do you guys check out meetings every now and then in other states? How's that gone? Um, checking out meetings is not working for us. Um, it's it's a logistical problem because there's not an AA club by every truck stop, and uh, it's can't drive a big rig to very many AA clubs. Um, yeah, that's true. And Uber gets kind of pricey, and uh, it's not very often that we're sitting anyway. Um, we're usually rolling for 11 hours each, so then there's an hour stop time for each shift change. And um, So what I've been doing is uh, listening to podcasts uh, like Recovery Edge and um, – Calling my my uh, Thank women you. friends, yes, <laughs> and using the phone, you say, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, what is today? September fourteenth. It's my son's nineteenth birthday. Wow! Well, congratulations. Yeah, nineteen. We actually he lived. <laughs> he yeah he's made it this far. <laughs> um, twenty twenty, so. Obviously, right now, it's still been a tough year because of the COVID thing and everything. Yeah. 
Um, well, what is that like out there as you're going from state to state? It's wild. Um, you know, some states are more stringent than others. Um, almost all of the truck stops have mandatory mask rules. Um, although not so many enforce that, mm-hmm. um, it just depends where we go, how stringent they are on, on masks and yeah. stuff. Um, it was a little scary for us at first cause we were on the road when the COVID hit. And by the time we got back for home time and to go shopping at the store and stuff, there was no, uh, PPE. There was no masks or gloves in the stores. You couldn't find them. Um, no hand sanitizer. So, you know, we just, uh, went with lots of hand washing and, uh, lots of prayer. Mm. So how are you maintaining some serenity in all of this? How um, do you maintain serenity in general anyways? Like how do you do that with your program? My reliance on my higher power is how I keep my serenity is just that daily contact, um, with God and, and reading, uh, the other big book, the big, big book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I also get a couple of emails sent to me. Um, it's like daily. I can't remember what it's called. Daily something or other. And then uh, transitions daily, I think it's called. Um, so those are more AA-based, recovery-based type stuff that I read um, when I have time. Mm-hmm. So. so you're really feeding that um you know how they say you have two wolves Mm -hmm. you're really feeding the right one um with all this extra stuff i mean your recovery isn't just going to a meeting right that's healthy yeah Um, sounds healthy anyways yeah well like i i think when i was drinking like i always felt like there was something missing in me and um i think i was drinking to try and fill up that hole that only my higher power fills. Now, if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice, like if I could pull you into the same time frame as maybe day one, Kara, what would you say? I would say, uh, do everything that is suggested to you. Um, I would try for 90, 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, just to trust in the process of working these steps. Because like I said, I didn't think this was going to work for me. And um, if you trust in that process, you know, it will come. It really will. Um, It was just trusting in the process when my sponsor said to, to... pray and I said I don't even know how to pray and she said just do it anyway and I said well I don't feel anything and she said just do it anyway and eventually it came to me where I started like um, remembering things like oh God put Alfredo in my life for for this or that or he put my sponsor in my life he works through all these different ways it's just amazing nice um yeah, uh, I agree with that. You guys, and you and Dan anyways, have been a pretty uh, substantial part of my recovery. You know, I've, 
I've got oh, all you. these memories with you guys. You know, yeah. I watched one of my sober Super Bowls here. Yes, you did. Was that the Falcons and the Patriots? I can't remember. I bet it was. All I remember is we had good snacks. Yeah, it was a it was a epic Super Bowl. I yeah, that's the one that the Falcons really dropped the ball on. <laughs> and um, you know, just hanging out with you guys, um, it's uh, it's been part of my journey, and I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, thanks for sitting down and sharing your story with us. Have you got any uh, burning desires or anything else you'd like to throw out there? I just want to thank you for having me on the podcast. And well, thank um, you. I am just super thrilled that you're doing this for the recovery community. Thanks. I'm super thrilled you did it for the recovery community. <laughs> thank you. That's a wrap for episode 12 of the Recovery Edgecast. I'd like to thank my guest, Kara, for joining us. Also, thank you listeners for checking us out. You can find us at recoveryedgecast.com, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, wherever you want to get your podcast. We'll see you next time.